This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. How's everyone doing today? All right. It was a little delayed, but, you know, it's expected. Um, Welcome. It's uh, August the 15th. The weather is terrible. Um, Super, I hate, I hate how muggy it gets. I hate it, just so you know. It's a little bit of revelation about myself. I don't like sweating. It's horrible. Anyways, we're stepping into week three of this sermon series called Seven. Everyone say Seven. Seven, okay. It's super, super intense title, all right? It's not really. It's just a word. But the word has significance. This word seven, there's so many things that seven can represent. The seven wonders of the world, seven days of the week. The list can go on and on. One of the most important to me and hopefully my wife is when I was born in 1977. There you go. I got one clap. My wife's not even clapping. So... Anyways, there's, but there's a significance in this number, right? And the, the significance comes from these I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John, okay? So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at the book of John and one of these I am statements. But I want to introduce myself. I'm Pastor David Charles Sasser. Welcome. There's been a lot of confusion and, uh, well, you guys have messed up my name a lot. I'm just going to say it. And, and it's not necessarily your fault, right? There's sometimes I don't even know what to call myself, all right? I, I just don't. My name has changed so many times throughout my life. I've had three different name changes. Anyone have that? Raise your hand. I got a couple, so that's impressive. But three different name changes, okay? That's not necessarily a good thing for a guy, right? But my mom got, got divorced and remarried two different times. My, my dad's then adopted us as kids, and so I would take on these new last names. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you in order of what all of my names have been in my entire life. So we have a slide for this. David Charles, Hoyt, Ballou, Smith, Sasser. Those are all my names. Uh, Brittany Dunn's not in the service, but she, that's her contact for me. She has all my names in there. So that's who I am and have been, David Charles, Hoyt, Ballou, Smith, Sasser. Okay, blue, not blue. All right, so this is the order. If you look at the purple words, David Charles Sasser, okay? Don't call me Charles David. It's not right. It's not right, okay? There's a significance to our names, right? We have the significance, and there's an identity that can be found in, in our names. It can point to who we are, right? But it really doesn't exactly define who I am right? First of all, I've been so many different people, I could probably hide from the law pretty well. But (laughs) I haven't tried yet, but we'll see. We'll see how this sermon goes. Um, So there's this identity that can be found in our name, but there's so many things that our identity can be found in. In fact, when I'm at my house, my identity is found in being a husband, hopefully a good one, and a father, and this support system, and this this person who brings instruction and direction and guidance. And and when I'm at at my secular job, Heiderton Mechanical, I'm an employee. I'm hopefully needed, right? I'm hopefully... uh, 
you know, they hopefully desire that I actually come in every single day. There's this importance factor to my position that I hold there. I'm a lead worker there as well. And then here at RLC, I am a pastor. I am a ministry lead. Hopefully, I'm a friend to some of you, to many of you, hopefully. You consider me a friend. I consider all of you my friends and my family. So there's this identity in certain situations that can follow who I am, right? My name means different things in in different situations because people understand who I am based upon where I'm at in their understanding of, this is not making even sense to me how I'm saying this. When I'm at Hydertemp, I'm a certain thing. When I'm at Relevant Life Church, I'm a thing. And when I'm at home, I'm an amazing thing. That's what my wife says every single time. So (laughs) I don't know why she's laughing. but there's this identity that comes from that. And, and I can tell you that my identity is, is very much a part of my influence, right? So my influence in individual lives is shaped by what people believe about me, okay? Regardless of what you think you knew my name was, right? You, you understand who I am to you in your life, right? Who, and I'm not going to ask you because we don't have time to go through, but who am I in your life? It's shaped by my, my context and, and what I've spoken to you about and, and the, the times and events that we've shared together. So there's this identity there. So this is why today we are looking at these I am statements of Jesus, right? We're looking at who Jesus is. The name of Jesus is very powerful and important, and there's this, and Scripture tells us that there is this power in the name of Jesus, that when we use this name, there is something behind it, right? But who is this person that Jesus is, right? Well, in John, John wrote this book called John, right? And it's about Jesus from, from birth to death. And John goes through these I am statements of who Jesus is. And Jesus reveals to the people, his audience, certain things about himself every time he makes one of these statements. And there's an importance to that because, and, I'm, and I stole this from you, Trenton. I didn't even ask permission. I stole his slide from last week. Your view of who Jesus is can be wrong, but when you get it right, it will change your life. When you get it right, it will change your life. When Jesus starts to mean something different to you in your life, it begins to change who you are, right? His influence is shaped by what you know and understand and believe about Jesus. So today, I'm talking about this I am statement, I am the vine. I, I am not the vine, but it's a statement when Jesus makes to his disciples, I am the vine. So what I want to do, there's 11, no, not 11, there's 17 verses in this section of the Bible in John that I want to read, right? So you got to stick with me. It's 17 verses. You guys can pull out your phones, pull out your Bibles, Follow along, take a quick nap. It's totally up to you. So John 15, 1 through 17, right? I didn't give you a lot of time to get there, but John 15, 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me and bears, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is my command, love each other. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you for your word. God, and most importantly, thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I pray that as we approach these I am statements, and, and particularly this I am statement about when Jesus says he is the vine, God, I pray that your word would begin to reveal truths to all of us today. God, the work that I have done and, and, and stealing the work from scholars, God, that I have done this last week, I pray that your truth is revealed to your people. God, that your Holy Spirit would be in this place today. God, that I would then pick up some of that power available through the Holy Spirit and that I would speak words that would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. God, less of me and more of you today. God, and I pray for our pastors. God, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Rhonda is there on vacation this week. God, I pray because I know the second week of chemo can be, you know, after the chemo session is one of the most, it's the toughest week to go through. God, I pray that you would touch Pastor Rhonda this week. God, that you would lift her body up. God, that even more importantly, God, you would lift her spirits up. God, that you would help her to overcome any doubt and fear and, and distrust that she may be feeling, God. God, and I pray that in this time of vacation, God, that they get to spend together. God, that they are united again together as a husband and wife, God, but they are united in you, Jesus. God, that they would remain in you. God, that they would be refreshed by you. God, that they would be rejuvenated by you. God, that there would be this presence that would bring them peace and they would find relaxation in you. God, we just thank you again for your word. Let's dive in. Everyone says, Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. So there's, there's, there's going to be a lot kind of coming at you really quick. So if you guys get lost, raise your hand. I can't do anything about it. I just, I just want to know if you're lost, okay? So as we look, <laughs> I just want to know my audience, you know. <laughs> Jeff's already back there. I don't know. 
don't know. Uh, <clears throat> as we look at, at Scripture, we have to look at the context of the Scripture. Okay, so what I want to do is do a little bit of background history about right before Jesus says this I am statement. Okay, because it's really important. It's really imperative. It sets us up to a better understanding of the importance of why Jesus said this and what it speaks about him in particular. Okay, so when we, when we look at the context of Scripture, we want to go back through and we, we want to look at who wrote it, right? We want to look at where did it take place, who are the characters involved in the passage, and when did this take place, all right? So these are really good things that even, even you as people should be, when you read Scripture, you need to know these things, right? Because Scripture only, it, it should mean something to you. You should not just glance through it and start trying to apply it to your life. You should really look at it and go, what is the importance of this and what is it actually saying? What is the original context this comes from? Okay, so the author, we talked about it already. The author is John. Okay, John is writing about Jesus. There's, there's an importance here because John is one of the original 12 disciples. He walked alongside Jesus. So this is a firsthand account of John coming in and going, no, Jesus actually said these things. I was there. I can attest to it, right? And, and furthermore, there's this relationship between John and Jesus because Jesus and John had a very special, particular relationship. John was actually the one that, that the Scripture says is the one that Jesus loved, right? You can, you can look back and you can go, there's the 12, there's the three, and then there's the one. And that one was John. So John's coming from a very special place with a relationship with Jesus and saying, no, it, there's, a, there's a care and there's a relationship here. So there's an importance there. So who are the characters in this passage that we just read? So the first character is the vine, right? The vine is Jesus, okay? The vine equals Jesus, played in part by Jesus, okay? The next one is the gardener. That is our, our father, Jesus's father. That is God, right? So he's the gardener. And the last is the branches. That is who Jesus is talking to, right? And talking about is the branches, his disciples. But let me just clarify this. We are also the branches. Say, I'm a branch, right? You guys online, write it in there. I'm a branch, okay? You could be worse, okay? We're branches. We are followers of Jesus. We are the ones that are connected to the vine. Where did this take place? This was um, between the upper room, okay? You guys know, I hope you know about the upper room and what took place there. And be, so between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, Okay, so the upper room where Jesus spoke to his disciples, they had a meal together, he was washing feet, he was doing these things, and then the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is, he's sweating blood because he's just tormented with what's about to happen to him, that they come and they, they, they try to, they take Jesus and he's going to be crucified. So this is, this is hours before, hours before Jesus is crucified that this statement is made, okay? So that's... That's where it took place and a little bit of when it took place, right? This crucial time in Jesus' life. We call it Good Friday, right? A lot of people, uh, scholars, believe that this actually happened on Good Friday, right? Right before Easter, which we call, we go, oh, Easter, Easter eggs, and it's fun. And 
we got to hide and seek and all this kind of stuff. But this is a day that this founded on our faith, okay? This day that Jesus, he was crucified, but then he was risen from the dead on this amazing day that we call Easter, okay? So story and context. So bringing a little bit of like story into this, what I want you to do is I want you to try to imagine yourself being one of the disciples. I want you to, to try to forget everything that you know. Don't forget everything you know. Forget everything you know about the rest of this story, right? Because we know about the Garden of Gethsemane and, and everything that transpires after that. But the disciples, they don't know that yet, okay? So we're we, we, we're just in the upper room. Jesus has, has, we've got this great meal going on. It's the Last Supper. We broke bread. Judas is out, right? And Jesus washes feet. And then Jesus drops this truth bomb. He's like, hey, my time, my, my days are numbered. I'm not going to be with you very much longer, okay? I, I got to go. I got to go someplace that you cannot follow. He, he actually says in John 13, 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. So he just drops this truth bomb on the disciples and, and says, where I'm going, I, I, I gotta go, and you can't come with me. So imagine yourself in this room with Jesus, and you just have this meal. He's washing your feet. All these things are taking place. And he goes, I got to go. I'm leaving you, and you can't come. Um, You've just spent three years with the Messiah, with this person named Jesus, and and now he's got to go? And not only that, like you you can't follow. You, You can't go where he's going. Your, your life is now turned upside down. What are you going to do? Go, just go back to fishing, right? You're going to become an, a tax collector again? Or are you you're just going to go back to normal life? Jesus, what does this mean for us? Jesus, you're, you're leaving us. We don't know what to do. And he says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's coming. Oh, great. Great. Some mystical spirit's coming we have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. We don't know what's going on. This, this is what the disciples are going through. This is, this is the torment that Jesus has. He's just stirred up this anxiety inside of them. And as he does this, he goes, let's go for a walk. Okay, he ends chapter 14. He's like, let's, let's go. Let's leave the upper room and let's go. And so somewhere between the upper room, the Garden of Gethsemane, it's about a mile journey, Jesus unveils this truth about being this true vine. Okay? So he understands, he can sense that the disciples are, are being tormented and torn apart by what he just said. He knows they have no understanding of what is about to transpire. So Jesus, going these people need some hope. These people, these people need something from me. And as they're walking through the, the Kidron Valley, of their, as they're going through Jerusalem, there's these, this symbol of, of vines everywhere. There's, there's a vine above the temple. There's these vineyards over on Jesus' left, and they're walking through, possibly you know, at night, 
everything's kind of lit up differently, and there's this kind of mood that's going on, and the disciples are moping behind Jesus. We don't know what's going on. Jesus probably isn't super excited because he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be taken and crucified. So there's this anxiety and this angst really inside of everyone. This person who Jesus is, right, because he's God and person, is probably screaming inside of him. But he knows with moments left in his life that he has to convey this message about who I am to my disciples. I have to tell them who I am. So that's where we're left. And when Jesus was saying, this is my point number one, just to help you guys follow along back there. When Jesus says, I am the vine, he is saying, I'm your anchor, I'm your source, and I'm your support. Okay? So he's offering these amazing things to his disciples. They still don't understand but his disciples are going, okay, so, so we're getting some of this because we can understand the context of what a vine is, right? Of the vines, vineyards, grapes, they were, they were really important in this Mediterranean region, not just to the Israelites, the Jewish people, but in general in this Mediterranean region, Jesus is speaking to something that they know very, very well. So let's read Again, verse 1 through 4, I am the true vine. My father's a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So there's these three things that Jesus is saying here when he says, I am the true vine. First one is Jesus is saying that he is our anchor. A, a vine is what connects the roots of the plant to the branches. It anchors everything down. So Jesus is this foundational thing because this, this vine, this kind of a metaphorical vine has been spoken over this nation of Israel, these Jewish people. In the Old Testament, you can actually find that, that so many times Israel is called the vine, the vine of God. And the problem is, is these people, these Jewish people, these Israelites, and we can look back and go, man, they got this wrong. But they weren't producing fruit. There were times where Israel would kind of do good, and then there was times where they'd do really bad. And Israel was not this really good producer of fruit, right? They, they didn't show who God was to this outside world. They didn't step in and go, look, we're this amazing people because we believe in God. You can look at us and know what it is to be in relationship with God. That nobody could do that because they were, they were failing so miserably. So Jesus steps in as this anchor and says, I am the true vine. Jesus then replaces these people, this people group, with this understanding that I am now the vine. Israel is no longer the vine. I now am the true vine. This true vine that, that connects you and anchors you to God. There's no exclusion you don't have to be a Jew anymore. 
You don't have to, to turn away from the religious things that you once believed and be, become this other different religion. The only thing you have to do is believe in me. You only have to connect yourself to the vine. The second thing Jesus says here is that he is the source of life and nourishment. And this kind of, in a lot of ways, when I read this, my mind kind of points back to the negative things about us being the branch, right? He's like, stay connected and these great things, you'll produce fruit, all these things will happen, but what happens if we don't stay connected to Jesus? We, we wither, we die, there's no, there's no nourishment, there's no life that flows to us. Why? Because of our choices. Why? Because of what we have done. We have separated ourselves from the vine. So there's a lack of nourishment and a lack of life. There's a lack of water that's flowing through this vine, right? Because the, the support that he gives, vines are, uh, sorry, not sort, it's source and life and nourishment. Vines are the natural pathway for water and nutrients to get from the roots to the branches, He's like the super highway of life. And I don't want to steal anything from when Jesus says, I am the truth, the life, right? I don't want to steal anything from that, but Jesus very much is saying, I am your life support. Stay connected to me. And the last one he says here, when he says, I am the true vine, he says, I support you. Vines also naturally support the plant. It holds everything upright and together, right? A, a branch just can't be floating in the air somewhere, right? It has to be connected to something that is supporting it. <clears throat> in verse 3, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. This support system that Jesus gives us is called us being saved, it has all to do with, with us being cleaned by who Jesus is, right? It says, my words have already cleaned you. They have already set you free. When, when John opens up this book of John in John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's speaking about Jesus, Jesus is the word, and this word has set us clean. It's this support system that we have that to be clean references our salvation, that Jesus says that through his life, his words, we are supported, we are saved, we are offered a way out, and we have a new hope. We have a new hope. The vine in this parable is, is supposed to make sense to us in a natural way. That's why I went to these very natural things, right? A plant in and of itself has these vines, and the vines are an anchor, and they're a source of nutrient, and they're these things that naturally support. Jesus talks about these parables in a way that people can understand what he's talking about, because God is so superior to us, amen, that he has to simplify things in a way that we can understand them. Okay? And, and the vines being central to this Mediterranean region and vines being central to who the Old Testament Israel was, it speaks volumes to who Jesus is. And then number two, the gardener. So this is where we're talking about that Jesus actually brings in, I'm the true vine, 
My, my father's a gardener. Some, some translations call him the vine dresser. So the, a gardener, or we could call ourselves a, a gardener, but a vine dresser kind of takes it into a, a different realm where the, somebody is actually, they own the garden. It's their responsibility to shape the garden, to care for the garden, right? There's this responsibility and there's this relationship between the gardener and the, the plants and the vines and the branches and the fruit, there's a responsibility that comes from that. And I can tell you <clears throat> that I, I'm not the best gardener. And I can tell you that my wife does not have the greenest thumb either. It, she's gotten way better, you guys. Before, I would buy her a plant, you know, nice inside plant. And then like two weeks later, <clears throat> it's compost. And <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. You know, some people can, can do this, some people can't, but she's learned, right? There's Google, so she knows what she's doing now, a little bit more. But there's this, the, the, there's this gardener that is in control of everything. He's running the show, pretty much. And Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine, but God is, is the gardener. He's the one that is shaping me in every way. So the, there's this aspect of servanthood that Jesus is, is speaking about. So Jesus is saying that I am under this gardener. He's not just talking about God and, and saying what God will do. That, that's great. But he's saying, because God is over me, I am this servant. Verse 1 through 2 says, My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I had no clue what I was doing when I was managing the property at our West Salem house. Some of you had seen our West Salem house. We owned an acre, 14 apple trees, two walnut trees, a partridge and a pear tree. Um, we probably had one of those too. It was overwhelming, you guys. But when I bought the property, I had tons of time. I was like, this is going to be great. I've always wanted an acre or two. I'm going to, you know, we're going to have people out. Our kids are going to enjoy this. My kids never went outside. They were so afraid of spiders, right? There's spiders and bugs out there and I just can't, daddy, you okay? Anyways, so <laughs> that was more Shaylee. Aubrey would be out there in the dirt. <sighs> she... She just play by herself because Shay's like, no, I'll draw something inside. That's me. Anyways, as I tried to take care of this property, I failed, you guys. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was not maintaining this property in a way that it should be maintained. All I was doing is just trying to keep my head above water, right? One of the first things I did, we came in and it was you know, it was end of summer, so middle winter, you know, I talked to some people and they're like, man, you need to prune those apple trees, 14 apple trees. And we cut them back to like just their main branches. I had a 40 foot by 10 foot tall by about 12 foot wide pile of branches. That was just one pile. There was another pile that was 10 foot round about the same. It was, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And I was like, well, I'll burn it. <laughs> you can't burn in Salem anymore. Right? And I would, have, I would have lit the whole neighborhood up. I'm telling you, it would have been amazing. <laughs> Anyways, we rented this chipper and it was like weeks and we never got through it. Never got through it. We ended up having to have somebody come and take it away. Like, it was so overwhelming. I was not 
a good caregiver. I was not a good gardener. I was not, I was not the right person to be in charge of that property. Therefore, we live in South Salem now on a small quarter acre lot with no fruit trees. Okay? So, but isn't it good that we have a, a God that is in control of the garden in which Jesus the vine is living in and that we as branches are connected to? Amen? So, I want to break this down a little bit because God, the, the, the gardener, has a job to do, right? He, he, he prunes. Everyone say he prunes. All right? Not like prunes, like prunes up when you sit in water too long, but... Yeah. yeah, it's a thing. So <laughs> there's, there's two words that we find here in, in, in the Greek translation of this. They're very similar words, right, to each other. They're kind of one word is part of the other word. But the, the words that we find here, the first one is, uh, and I, I'll probably butcher it, but it's something like airy, airy, airy. When God needs to prune a non-bearing fruit, right? So airy is the word in Greek that, they, that John uses to go, no, there's this airy process of God pruning when there is non-fruit-bearing plant, okay? So, and then kathari is when God needs to prune a branch that does produce fruit, okay? So there's this very similar aspect, but in reality, there's a very different meaning to these two words. So, airy means to take away. Okay, remember this is the non-fruit bearing branch that we're talking about. So, God, in his mercy, will take and chop off that branch that's not producing any fruit. And you can ask, wait, <laughs> wait, back up. You just said God in his mercy would come and cut off the branch. Remember, we are the branches. Wait, God, God can just cut me off? Yeah, yeah. And it is his mercy because the, the plant has a job to do. The plant, this fruit-bearing plant, what is its job? It, is, it has a job to produce fruit. If there's something on this plant that is not producing fruit, then it needs to go. Because what happens is these non fruit-bearing branches will begin to suck life from the rest of the plant. These non-bearing branches will begin to wither, and they will begin to affect the, the fruit-bearing of all the other branches. It doesn't mean that they stop sucking life from the vine. It means they start sucking life from the plant, and it starts affecting the growth of God's community. And he can't stand that. He can't, he can't have that in his garden. He can't have that in his garden. So this, this word katheri also, also means to take away. But there's another primary definition in this word that's called to lift up. Okay, so this is when God, this katheri is when God comes in and starts lifting up the branches that are producing fruit. And there's still a pruning that goes on, right? If you know anything about plants, and especially fruit-bearing plants, that you can't just let them go crazy, right? It, it affects the health of the plant. It, it affects how much fruit is, is, is being produced every single season. So this, 
this plant, this branch that is producing fruit, God actually comes back and goes, you know what? Great job. Snip. Right? Why? Because he wants to produce new good fruit next season. He doesn't want the plant to be overwhelmed with more offshoots of branches. He wants this, this branch to be healthy and good. And that's what he does for us in this circumstance. But either way, we're going under the knife of God. Either way, you will be pruned. It doesn't matter if you're producing fruit or not. I mean, it does matter if you're producing fruit or not because no one wants to be cut from the vine. I don't want to be cut off. I want to be lifted up. Amen? And it's really good to know that we have a really good gardener. A really good gardener, somebody that cares for us, somebody that, that pushes us forward and, and will cut off the bad things and, and prune us back to where we can be more productive in his community. And maybe you're feeling one of those seasons right now. God is cutting away at you and it, and it hurts and you don't know why God would do this to you. But hold on. God is doing something good and better in you. The sad part is that so many believers, listen, so many believers, especially in the last 18 months, you guys, you're sitting here in masks again. God, what are you doing? God, what is this pruning season that your church is in? But so many people have decided that their way is better. So many people have decided for themselves and they're being cut from the vine. They're being cut from the vine. Next one, we're looking at the branches. That's us, right? But, but how does this relate to Jesus? Right? I want to I point everything back to Jesus here. So the next thing we, we want to learn about Jesus here in this passage is how he loves his branches. How he loves us as individuals. Verse 5 through 8 reads, I am the vine, you are the branches. So this is another way that Jesus is saying this, right? In the beginning, verse 1, he's like, I'm the true vine. And then he talks about the branches. Again, he's saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. So when scripture repeats, we pay attention, right? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is, my Father's, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, we're the branches. And Jesus is asking us to do something here. Jesus is saying, remain in me. This word remain is used 11 times from verse 4 through verse 16. That's 12 verses, and it's used 11 times. Remain in me. Some translations say, abide in me. This, this Greek word that we're using here is called minnow. Looks like mino, but it's minnow, which literally means to remain, to stay, to reside. So we are to build our home in Jesus. We are to stay, everyone say stay, stay connected to Jesus. 
We are to remain in, in him. A branch is only a branch if it's connected to the vine. If a branch is disconnected from the vine, it's compost. It's worthless. Have you ever asked a dog to stay before? You ever, you ever tried to train a dog to stay? I, I very much have had mixed results with this. Very much mixed. Some dogs are like, no, I'm not doing it. Nope. And they just follow you everywhere, right? And then some dogs are like, I'll stay for like a minute, and then I'm out of here. And then some dogs, you're just like, stay, and you can go for like ever around the house and do things, and you'll come back, and they're like, tell me to do it again. And, but there's, there's these mixed results that we get when we, when we try to train a dog to stay. Well, Jesus is, is telling us to do the very same thing. And I can tell you, he gets mixed results. Rich, and I think I'm saying this right, no idea. Velodas, and no one knows. Rich Velodas says if Jesus spent eight hours a day, every day, for three years with, these, with his disciples, he would have spent over 8,000 hours with them. After all that time, they still had major gaps. They were still messed up. So one hour a week on a Sunday will never change people. We need a life that abides in him with the support of others. We need a life in him that, that we just sit and we, we, we sit there with him and we d- develop a relationship with him and we stay connected to his vine and we read his word. Why is this so vital? What, is, what does this speak about Jesus here? Because we're talking about a job that we must do, right? Abide in Christ. But, but Jesus actually promises things because he loves us so much. He's like, man, if you do this, right? There's this word, and if you look again, this word if is in this, these passages so many times. If you remain, this will happen. If you love, if, if. He keeps saying it because if we do something, then something is coming for us. Whether it's the airy that we're being taken away or it's the kathari that we're going to be lifted up, we get what we wish for, right? That's what the, that's what the passage says. It actually says the desires of your heart, whatever you wish for will be given to you. But can I tell you that what we wish for when we remain in Jesus is going to look a lot like what Jesus wants. Because when we're a part of the vine of Jesus Christ and we're in the garden of God, we don't wish for things outside of that. We, we have very much a, a desire to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. We have a desire to encourage others. We have the, the desire to give from ourselves. We become this servant to God just like Jesus is. And it, it produces fruit, right? When we, when we remain in him, it produces fruit. And what does that do? Man, that, what does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. The fruit is something that we offer to this world. The fruit is something that, that we show them and go, look how good this fruit is. Just like when Adam and Eve were tempted by the, the tree in the garden and, the, and they had to eat from it. It's this fruit that God produces in us that says, look world, look how good our God is. Right? And with that, it glorifies the Father. 
It glorifies the, the Father. When Jesus promises things, he's saying, I love you. I love you. And the last one I want to look at here, and the band can come up, is the fruit. The fruit, okay? It's not necessarily a character in the story, but I, I want you to understand that when, when Jesus starts looking like the vine in our life, when we remain in him, when we start staying connected to him, that there's this thing that's produced, and it's called fruit. So this is, this is the good part. This is the exciting part for us. So verse 11 through 17, it says, I've told you this so that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in the name of my father, my father will give you. This is my command, love each other. There's a lot of scholars that say that Jesus is pointing back to this person who the, the Holy Spirit is here, and he's saying that there's this fruit of the Spirit that will begin to start producing in us. Because plants don't do activities. Can, can everyone agree with me? Plants don't get up and go and do things. This fruit that, we're, that Jesus is talking about is not something that we do. It's something that we, as the branches, produce. It's something that comes from inside of us. It's, he's speaking to this relational factor. He's speaking to our salvation. He's speaking to this transformational thing that he does inside of all of us. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, which forbearance is hard, right? It's, it's tolerance, okay? And there's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit is something that we produce. It's not something that we do. It's something transformational that happens inside of our Christian lives that God is doing because we are connected to Jesus, because we are remaining in him. And because of that, our, we start to develop a love like no other love. We start tolerating people. We start treating them with kindness and gentleness. We start to become good because Jesus Christ was nothing but good. And our self-control will continue to grow us and spur us on to greater things and we will be able to withstand the enemy. Who wants to withstand the enemy? Amen, most of you. Our joy and peace will be unmeasurable. God will step in and do amazing things in you if you just stay with Jesus. Have you ever felt real joy inside your life? So joy isn't happiness. A lot of people think it is, but joy is something that is very constant and steady. Joy, joy is something that God gives us. Happiness is a roller coaster ride. You're happy, you're sad, you're happy, you're sad, you're mad. That's me, mad. 
But joy is constant. It's this feeling you get when you wake up in the morning, you're just like, man, it's just good to be in God's garden today. It's just good to be a branch connected to this vine of Jesus Christ. It's good because now I get to produce this fruit. Now I'm on mission with Jesus Christ. And now this fruit that I'm producing is reaching the lost. It's reaching the world around me. And I love how Jesus ends this passage. He says, this is my command. Right? Listen up. This is my command. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples, and they're distraught, and they don't know what to do. And Jesus is leaving them, but he says, this is my command. Love one another. Because he knew when he was going that they had to look around to each other for support and community. And this is the way the church was founded and the church was built, that everyone started loving each other like Christ loved them. This word love, a few years ago, I went on this journey of like discovering who God was. It was, you know, you make those like New Year's resolutions And I was like, I just want to know more about God. I want to know who he is. And man, it took me probably close to like two years to kind of come to this realization that God is love. And yeah, scripture tells us God is love, but I had to realize it myself. Because when you're connected to the vine and and you're in the garden of God and he's clipping and pruning and doing the work that he does, we, it's, it's love. It's love because when we establish this relationship, Christ accepts us. He has chosen us. That's what this, this passage tells us. He chose us first. That when I, when I start looking like Jesus and when I realize that there's this love that God offers us, that I can go out and love everyone else the way that God loves me because the Old Testament law is no more. The new law is love. It can be summed up in one word because when you love each other as Jesus commands here, you will do no wrong. Because I love so much, I'm going to care about you and I'm going to do the things that you love. I'm going to care about you in a way that I'm not going to be somebody that holds bitterness against you. Right? There's the, I, I'm going to live out this fruit of the Spirit. There's going to be a goodness inside of me. There's going to be a tolerance that I show you. There's going to be the self-control that I have. So in the end, this fruit that we produce is love. Because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, who we know now is the vine and he is our anchor and he is our source of nourishment and truth and he is our support. And as we connect and we graft ourselves onto this vine, this connection into God and his plan for this world. As we do that, there's a love that surrounds us. And there's this fruit that is beginning to produce inside of each and every one of us. So today, that's my challenge for you. First of all, when we recognize who Jesus is, 
our lives start to change and we start to become different people because we realize Jesus is these different things to us. We understand him in a different context. But as we understand him as the vine, I pray that you understand him as somebody that's offering this connection and this, this like just intertwining of loving each other. Because Jesus didn't just mention himself, he mentioned God as Father, and he calls us friends. We are in relationship together. We are all friends. So today, love one another. That's what Jesus commands. Will you guys pray with me? God, I thank you again for your son. God, what a what an amazing amazing individual. God, what an amazing plan you had to send your son as both God and as both man down to this earth. God, that he would walk among us. God, that he would be able to relate to us in a way that he would be able to teach us and he would be able to sense our emotions. God, he would be able to understand what we were feeling just like he understood what the disciples were feeling. And he gave them this hope. He gave them this anchor. He gave them everything they needed to not just barely make it, but to produce this fruit that has changed our world. God, that the fruit of the Spirit enveloped them. God, that the Holy Spirit came and that they they were still present, God. They were still longing and connected to you, God. That they remained in you long enough that you would transform their lives in a way, Jesus. God, transform our lives in that same way. God, as we remain in you, God, as we put our our trust in you. God, as we build our home in you, God, you have given us promises that you will also remain in us. God, that you will also love us. God, that we are your friends. So today, I thank you, God, again for your son and what he's done for us this offering that he gave to us. And we glorify your name, Jesus. We glorify your name today, Jesus. Amen, amen. You guys, thank you so much for coming. I know the mass thing is is rough. I mean, it kind of keeps you warmer, right? It's not a good thing when you go outside, but in here, you know. Anyways, you guys... Have an amazing week. Stay connected to the vine and love each other. As you leave this house, please love each other and love our neighbors. Amen? See you guys. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.